hopefully geothermal energy will also be able to provide some of the jobs that are needed to replace the old jobs and, and thus promote a, a just transition. Welcome to today's Jolt. It's the 12th of December. I'm Sam Morgan, your host. Stay tuned later in this episode for a look at how the heat generated by planet Earth herself can be used to boost the energy transition and what we need to do to unlock it. First, let's take a look at what has been happening in the world of energy and climate, as well as the latest developments from COP28 still ongoing in Dubai. Disappointed was the word of the day in Dubai yesterday at COP28. A new draft of the global stock take, the text that is supposed to be the main conclusion from this year's summit, was heavily criticised across the board. The new version ditched any mention of a fossil fuel phase-out or even a weaker phase-down. It also uses language that effectively allows countries to pick and choose which measures they want to deploy. More controversially still, the text says countries should go net zero by before or around 2050. Mid-century is the very latest point by which emissions should be neutralised, according to the scientific community. Negative reactions to the UAE presidency's draft text were not limited to green groups and civil society. European Union negotiators said they would walk away from talks if the text is not vastly improved. US envoy John Kerry said it does not meet expectations. And former US Vice President Al Gore warned that the summit is virgin on total failure as a result. The Marshall Islands, in a powerful statement, said the text was effectively a death certificate. A new draft is expected sometime today, after the jolt was recorded. We're now officially into overtime at COP28, after the closing deadline of 11am Dubai time this morning was passed as expected. There is a fairly long list of negotiating topics that have not been agreed yet, including decisions on financing, carbon markets and just transition funding. Follow a link in the show notes to Carbon Brief's COP Tracker for more details. And keep an eye on those watches. COP25's overtime record of 44 hours might be broken by this summit. The European Commission has given the thumbs up to a multi-billion euro German scheme designed to compensate energy firm RWE for shutting its coal power plants early. Germany needed approval from Brussels because of the potential impact the 2.6 billion euro package might have had on the EU's internal market. The German government still aims to exit coal by 2038 and needed to sweeten the deal for its energy companies. As pointed out by the Commission, their coal plants are still profitable. The assessment rules that any potential distortion to competition principles is outweighed by the terms of the package and the need to hit climate and environment goals. A separate inquest into a further 1.75 billion euros for another energy company is still ongoing. The United States has banned the import of Russian nuclear fuel. The House of Representatives voted yesterday on a bill that effectively puts an embargo on Russian uranium imports. The initiative won bipartisan support from Democrats and Republicans after a separate bill pledged to increase investments in domestic production. The ban can be waived if no other viable uranium supplies are available. According to the Department of Energy, the US gets the majority of its nuclear fuel from overseas and 12% of it comes from Russia. Poland has a new prime minister and government. Donald Tusk will take the reins after winning a confidence vote in Parliament yesterday. It is likely to have a positive impact on climate policy in the European Union's fifth most populous country. There's a link in the show notes to an episode of our What Matters podcast, 
that looks into this very issue. Also check out a link to a new study by the Instrat think tank, which shows that Poland can get close to net zero by 2040. Bulgaria has scrapped a gas pipeline transit tax that its government had hoped would rake in billions of euros. The levy, first introduced in October, was meant to impose financial penalties on Russian gas that is piped across Bulgaria to other European countries. It was a somewhat controversial move, as countries like Hungary, North Macedonia and Serbia warned it would increase their energy bills. Bulgaria had insisted that Russia would be the one foot in the bill, not Budapest, Skopje or Belgrade. Not a single euro has been collected though, partly because of Russian recalcitrance and partly because not all of the gas in the Turkstream pipeline comes from Russia. It's simply too difficult, even impossible, to tell where the gas originates. Kenya has teamed up with the European Investment Bank to help its financial institutions channel more money towards climate initiatives. The new partnership between Kenya's central bank and the EU's AAA-rated lender will last two years, and it's designed to help the East African country achieve its green goals. The initiative will help Kenya incorporate climate risks into its regulatory framework and set up a green taxonomy to grade investments. The EIB hopes that it will serve as a model or template for other African countries to copy and learn from. And a Dutch government-backed aviation startup has unveiled plans for an electric hybrid 80-seat aircraft. Maeve Aerospace announced yesterday that it has begun research and development on the new plane and hopes to make its first flight in 2028. Maeve had hoped to develop an all-electric 40-seater, but those plans have been shelved. Instead, the purpose-built M80 will be designed from the ground up to incorporate battery electric power during takeoff and climbing. It will also be certified from day one to run on 100% sustainable aviation fuel. The current generation of jets can only fly using a 50% blend with conventional kerosene. Maeve claims the M80 will burn 40% less fuel during cruising, and that trip costs as a result could be 25% lower. Its first commercial flight is penciled in for late 2030. That's it for your news updates today. Now, let's get into the story of the moment. One valid criticism of solar and wind power is that they are not 24-7 consistent energy sources. The sun sets and the wind doesn't always blow. Of course, adding batteries and building enough turbines offsets that problem, but it's still something that needs to be taken into consideration and, most importantly, paid for. But do you know what is a consistent energy source that isn't interrupted by weather patterns? Planet Earth herself. That's right, we're talking geothermal energy today. Often overlooked and rarely mentioned in the same breath as solar and wind, it's arguably renewable energy's neglected child. Capable of generating power, heating and cooling by tapping heat sources deep beneath our feet, there are numerous geothermal applications and technologies out there. There's nearly 15 gigawatts of installed electricity generating geothermal worldwide, that's less than 0.5% of renewable energy capacity, but its potential to provide heating and cooling via heat pumps is also massive. The International Energy Agency predicts that global capacity will triple by 2030, but that it's going to require policies and incentives to make it a reality. The European Union is already putting the work in. Last week, the European Parliament agreed that the EU desperately needs a geothermal strategy and asked the executive branch, the European Commission, to come up with one. I spoke with Niels Fuglsang, the member of the European Parliament leading the charge for geothermal 
about what this new report is actually asking for. There are two things that we really need for geothermal energy to be more widespread or to be promoted in the European Union. I mean, we have a lot of potential for geothermal energy according to the sector. Actually, geothermal is able to provide 25% of heating and cooling consumed in Europe, but we, we're not using that potential today. And so I think what we're calling for in, in our report here is that we want a, a strategy for how to increase the uptake of geothermal energy. Two things that uh, we're pointing at is first, we need we need to have an overview, overview over the data, the subsurface data. Where is the geothermal energy? In some countries, there is a lot of potential. There might not be as much potential in, in other countries. And where can you where can you drill to find this uh, geothermal energy? And here, there is some data um, available in different countries, but nobody nobody has an overview over data. So we think that we need to to have a a mapping of that data. Then second, uh, we need some we need some rules on permitting. These permitting discussions are basically the same as we have in, in other fields of renewable energy, that it takes a lot of time for when you have a renewable energy project. You know, the time from the idea till the action is is very long often. There are environmental concerns when you drill for uh, for geothermal energy. You could have different concerns from people who live next to the drilling. You could have environmental concerns, perhaps. Actually, for geothermal energy, I don't think the environmental concerns are that big compared to many other forms of energy. But there could be concerns. And and, and so um, there's a long process, can be a long process, from uh, having the idea to make a project to actually get, getting the permission to drill. And I think we should have some deadlines for uh, how long can that process take. That's what we're asking for uh, in in the report that we have some uh, smoothing of the of the permitting procedure. But do you think that geothermal perhaps suffers from a bit of a, not an image problem, but misconceptions? Where I guess when you say geothermal, you immediately think of countries like Iceland, where you know there's volcanic magma coming out of the ground on a regular basis, which of course is not true because geothermal can be applied in in many many countries. Is that something that needs to be addressed as well, where it needs to be put on the radar a bit more? not just for maybe policymakers, but the public conception of it as well? I think so. I mean, uh, you know, I, I wasn't so aware about geothermal energy either uh, before getting getting into this work, uh, being elected to the European Parliament. And it is something that we associate with, for example, Iceland. And, and maybe we think that it's not relevant in, in many countries, but it is in my own country, Denmark. We just started the, the biggest project in, in Europe, for geothermal energy, which is the city of Aarhus in, in Denmark, uh, where they just started drilling a couple of weeks ago. And uh, they expect that, that they will be able to provide uh, the citizens of Aarhus with a large part of their uh, heating uh, heating energy from geothermal energy. So I think that the public perception needs to be challenged or, or needs to be, you know, we need to work on a wider uh, recognition or awareness about the, the benefits of geothermal energy, because it is indeed a stable form of energy, it's renewable energy. If you use it, it doesn't go away uh, in the sense, you know, we talk about wind turbines, the, the wind doesn't always blow, the sun doesn't always shine for solar panels, but for geothermal, it is rather a stable form of energy. So it, I think it will be um, a benefit in, in, in also those countries where you might not have the best conditions for wind turbines or solar panels. Earlier this month, tech giant Google announced it's going to pilot an experimental geothermal plant in Nevada which uses technology actually developed by the fossil fuel sector to tap hard to access energy sources. 
I asked Niels whether there is a strong crossover potential between oil and gas exploration and geothermal. Could the tech and maybe even the workforce that has been built up over decades to extract fossil fuels be redeployed to geothermal? I think so. I mean, uh, you know, we have uh, the, the, the fossil fuels industry. They're used to digging in the ground or drilling in the ground. And, and um, you know, you, you might be able to use some of those skills when you have a geothermal project. So, so it could be that we can actually use uh, a lot of the workforce that we have in, in the old fossil industry. That we use some of it and people will be able to find jobs uh, if we do this on a larger scale for geothermal energy. And so I think there is an element of just transition in this. I think that's really what we need because we all know that for this green transition to happen, we will lose uh, a lot of jobs in the fossil industry because obviously we the, the fossil industry is the problem uh, when it comes to climate change that we emit too much CO2 from, from fossil um, energy. Hopefully geothermal energy will also be able to provide some of the jobs that are needed to replace the old jobs and, and thus promote a, a just transition. Would you like to see eventually targets for geothermal and something more specific if this goes to plan? You know, we know where the geothermal is. We know how much we can power from it. So we should get X percent of our power or heating or cooling from this by this date. Do you think that's feasible? Maybe that is a, a, a bit too specific. We have uh, the renewable energy targets in the Renew Renewable Energy Directive. We have a target of 42.5% renewable energy for 2030. Uh, and also in the Energy Efficiency di Directive that I negotiated myself, we have targets for district heating systems that they need to be more based on renewable energy in the years to in the year that, that come. And I think if we are clever, then geothermal energy will be a part of, of living up to those targets, especially when it comes to the district heating. I know that in some countries, uh, because of the energy and efficiency directive requiring them to have more renewable energy in the district heating systems, they are indeed looking at geothermal energy as one of the options for uh, living up to those targets. So I think in general, we, we need to say from the European Union, you need to live up to a certain amount of renewable energy, the, the more the better, and there's a minimum uh, level that you should reach. But then the member states needs to have some room for maneuver when it comes to which kind of renewable energy will they then use, because indeed the potential for geothermal will vary from country to country, as the potential of wind turbines will vary from country to country. Many thanks for joining me today. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode of The Jolt. The Jolt is free to air for now, so please do show us some love and share the episodes if you enjoyed listening. Also consider becoming a subscriber to unlock all of our in-depth quality journalism. If you missed yesterday's episode on how the EU is trying to decarbonise buildings, check out the link in the show notes. Also make sure you check out the latest edition of the magazine. We'll be talking about one of the great articles included in it tomorrow. Thanks to everyone at Foresight for helping make the jolt possible, and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the jolt. Thank you.